As a new day dawns in Agadon, in the wintry land of the northeastern fell, where the Riftwalkers have formally decided to come together and take on their new mission to, in effect, save the world. They have some time to themselves in Leirotz's tavern to collect their thoughts, take stock of their equipment, and to do all they must before setting out once more on their perilous task. Brynir oh, goes and gets some he... wood. Oh, go ahead, Brynir. <laughs> no, I was making a joke. Oh. <laughs> this perilous task, he goes and gets some wood. <laughs> but he didn't see that that big rig on the way back. Oh. It was a perilous task. <laughs> he didn't see the big rig and the people with the AK-77s and gets mowed down. That's huge. It was Noah's rifle. <laughs> he didn't see Lee Harvey Oswald on the grassy knoll. <laughs> Yep. Where are we? <laughs> it was a perilous task, guys. It was a perilous oh task. Take it away. Laura. Everybody okay. was getting mowed down. <laughs> oh my god! Freaking wolves. <laughs> and this wolf seeing his buddy get mowed down. <laughs> we got Magister Morton up there at the Tommy Gun. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, real quick diversion. Then the world. You've seen those pictures of the founding fathers doing like yeah. ridiculous yes. things. Oh, I have. So yeah. We should make those of various characters from Riftwalkers, and that'll be Magister Morden's, yes. just like with a Tommy gun. <laughs> yes, <laughs> with, with the body of wolves at his feet. <laughs> I'm ready to do my thing now, if that's okay. Okay, let's get in the mood. Okay. <laughs> let's get in the Val would like to send a message via snail mail to Cassandra's estate. He will pay as much as he needs to pay to get it there as quickly as possible. And include a nice little return envelope, <laughs> if he can, <laughs> just to... He wants to know what's going on. And he'll he'll sign it and, like, stamp it with his Valentine Eventide signet ring as, you know, like, I am the heir of this estate. Please tell me what's going on. Yeah, it costs a couple of copper caps as you intercept a mail carrier on the road outside the the tavern one morning and hand them this letter time wise it could take a few months months i'll send another sending to her even though i know what the result's gonna be your magic is in vain val knows i think that he's sort of taken this as ifron lost his arm permanently and katasandra is probably dead Coming down to the main room, one of the following mornings, Rolandir sees Efron sitting at a table, and he approaches. So, these ethereals who you suggested that we recruit to get on our side, how exactly do we make contact with them? I mean, I know that I have some connection to Sindor, and I, there's this presence that I can occasionally feel, but as far as the other ethereals go, I know that for the Valors, we had to travel to different realms. How do we accomplish this? It seems that I was perhaps a bit careless when asking questions of the Herald, because I also do not know. <laughs> perhaps you could try to ask Sindor, and he can grant us an audience with another ethereal. Or perhaps Luna knows some way, perhaps we can have Val ask if Luna knows a way to communicate with the ethereals. But I am not sure. 
However, when you became a godborn, we also had to travel to the realm of Sindor in order for you to be physically present before him. Perhaps the same is required if we are to meet the other Aetherias. True. Although we also know from the presence of Air as the Wanderer that they can manifest themselves in Egadon. So perhaps one or the other is possible, but I think we had best start with asking Val to communicate with Luna and see what we can get from her. That would be the easiest course of action. Another suggestion is more roundabout. As the Ethereals do not have much direct contact with mortals, we could try also contacting a reality and seeing if we can use a connection through them to get to the Ethereals. But we should try to ask Luna first. I agree. And Relandir scans the room for Val. He's probably there like 100% zoned out. Like there, but not. <laughs> okay. So just for everyone to know, Lerotz does actually feel guilty. He's sitting there. He's just keeping a, a really strong eye on Val. He feels a certain amount of responsibility um, because he didn't decide to participate in this adventure, mainly because he was kind of grumpy. And it seems to have had a really large effect on Val, who he feels um, by his traveling back in time and interacting with Val, he is partially responsible for. Okay. So are you like across the room or are you like right next to Val? Not right next to Val, probably across the room. Rolander approaches Val and... Does Val react to Rolander approaching, or does... No. All right. Val, can I talk with you a moment? Val? He kind of looks up and, and, like, blinks in a, in a way that, like, he comes back to himself. And you see, like, a, a flash across his face of, like, is that my name? And then he says, yeah. What? And Rolander puts a hand on Val's shoulder and sits down next to him. We need a favor from you. Efron and I, and we don't quite know how to go about this whole making contact with the Ethereals business. We were hoping that either you might have some knowledge of your own, or you could reach out to Luna to see if she can give us some assistance. I, I, I do not know anything, but I, I can talk to Luna, yeah. That would be great. All right, I will sending to Luna. I, well, not yet. <laughs> One second. What do you want me to ask her specifically? Just ask... And then now turning to both Ifron and Val, you think we should make contact with what was the Ethereal's name, maker of the kin? Yakuda. Yakuda. You think we should make contact with them first, yes? Yes. I agree. Then perhaps simply that. Ask Luna if she knows how we can make contact with Yakuda. If there's a way to meet in this plane of Egadon, or if it will require perhaps the use of the Nexus. All right. I will send in Luna, and I will say, do you know of any way we can contact Yakuda, either in this plane or another? You get an immediate response from Luna, and you hear then, in your mind, Val, I'm sorry, I don't. Time is short. I fear I will not return soon. The Magisters have encountered the Rift Wardens. Chaos will ensue. Uh, she does not know how to contact Yakuda, and she also warns of some oncoming chaos between the Rift Wardens and the Magisters who have discovered each other, evidently. <laughs> I'm sure that's going over well. Any mention of when she'd be back? She said she would not return soon. Then I think it's time we press forward on our own, and Luna can catch up when she needs to. I think that... It would be in our best interest to, I don't know, perhaps venture out, see what we can do among the people of Bastion. It's, I don't know, it, would it be a few hours journey or like 
a like a few minutes to get to Bastion. It'd be like a 45 minute walk trudging through the snow, all things considered. Right. I think for whatever reason, Luna has brought us here and I don't see, I have not been there myself. It could do us well, one, just to get out, see what the city has. And in the meantime, I can attempt to make contact with Sindor. Perhaps that will bring up something, but I don't think it will do us much good just to sit around here hoping that one of the ethereals makes contact with us. No, certainly not. However, I do not know that a human city will uh, have much to do with the mother of the kin. Uh, so perhaps they would have a, a lead to in another direction entirely. Or perhaps we could travel to Udeelo again. I don't want to risk another time jump, but we need research. Agreed. Perhaps there is another way to reach Yakuda. You see, Yakuda also happened to have a son named Dek. Dek happened to become the first reality. And as I told Rolandir, the ethereals do not directly have much business with mortals, but the realities are much more involved. Perhaps through Dek we could gain an audience. Now, I do not know much about Dek or about what he represents or values. However, Val, you may have more knowledge concerning this thing. I, I mean, I know who Dek is and that the kin revere him less than worship, but respect of Dek is commanded among all kin households. But I, how to contact him or where he might exist in reality, I, I do not know, but he is a real being. The first of Yakuda's sons. Kelniace, who's been leaning up against a wooden pillar, sort of in the middle of this parlor, raises her finger and takes a couple steps forward and she's like, um, well... Not to be an eavesdropper, but I, I, I don't feel like I need to justify that. Anywho, look, I'm a Mazkin, and I don't know what you all know of my kind, but... Next to nothing. Exactly. Usually, we don't travel far outside of our own communities. These monasteries, great sprawling monasteries that exist within the northern and southern mountains of the Fell, far away from even your Demlik kingdom that extends into said mountains. I guess my point is, Mazkin have a particular connection to the realities. I'd say even more so than Elfkin. If we made a pilgrimage of sorts to one of these monasteries, I think a channel of sorts could be opened. When you say pilgrimage, are we expecting this to be a journey of more... Days? Weeks? Months? It would take time. Probably a couple months from where we are currently situated. About that. I know things did not go so well the last time we tried this, but it is possible to use intent to get there much quicker. In fact, Brelandir, after having seen what I have seen, I believe you are limiting your powers. I believe there is much more that you can achieve, but you have simply not unlocked it in your mind. Interesting. Now, if you do not feel comfortable in attempting to transport us to an unknown place, perhaps it is best to go by foot. But time is of the essence, and we do not have Luna here to transport the tavern again, so I'm afraid we must do it by ourselves. Are we taking the entire tavern, then? No, just us. But the last time we tried it, uh, well... Unless Rolander would like to spend another 45 years in the Fell before he sees us again. So, Lerots would literally die. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a skeleton. An animated skeleton. Well, 
here's what I see as our options. We either make the journey on foot, at which point we might as well have just waited here for Luna, at which point the Magisters and Rift Wardens will have found us and we would have had our own issues there, so that doesn't make much sense. Or we attempt to use intent to transport ourselves there, and honestly, I don't think I'm as opposed to it as you might think I am, Efron. It's risky, yes, but does seem to be our best choice. The only other alternative that I see to this issue is that we make use of our friend that we made in the mountain pass to perhaps fly us there, although I don't know if he maintained his drake form. I had quite forgotten about him, but yes, that is a good idea. How would we even call upon him? I can contact him, I believe. He is a creature familiar to me. Very well. I'll contact our, our friend, the Snow Mountain Drake. Phone a friend! <laughs> <laughs> hey! So, then Val wants to contact Natsuniro? I do. Um, I will say, hello, I hope you are well. Would it be possible for you to fly us from Bastion to one of the Mazkin monasteries? You don't receive a direct response through sending because this creature spirit doesn't, frankly, need to adhere to the same rules that you follow. So in your mind, you are kind of buffeted by a wave of emotion, and it's mostly sadness. And it's directed at you that this spirit has observed your situation and finds sympathy in your cause, but also in your personal plight and the state of your mind. It expresses a deep, I don't want to say distrust, but wariness to the integrity of yourself. Can I communicate with him in a like manner? Like, is he, is that channel still open to me or will I need to cast sending again? You would have to cast sending. How that is accomplished is beyond your understanding. Okay, cool. I will cast sending again. I understand that I am not in a fit state. This is not about me, but the world at large. With that, then, you do hear words, and it's simply, I will help you. He says that he will help. Good. Does he mention any specifics of how that help will come? He did not. I could ask if you want me to, but... I suspect uh, he has his vase. Actually, it's Kelnies who draws your attention to a cyclone of snow and wind that is building in the backyard of the inn itself. She, Kelnies, sprints to the back door, opens it wide, and takes a few steps outside to observe this happening. Surprised by the sudden movement by Kelnies, Rainier goes ahead and swiftly goes outside as well. Lerot is going to act for the first time this episode, and <laughs> he's going to stand up. He's curious, as he has been in this inn longer than anyone else. He has been around. This seems odd to have a cyclone occurring behind it. So he's going to stand up. He's going to move forward. He's going to do just look around and see what's there. He's armed at the moment, and he's suspicious of what could be happening. And Mick, I think that all of us see this happening. So Mick also goes to the back and peeks his head out, but doesn't fully come out. Great. Then as everyone does come to examine the inclement weather that builds behind the tavern, you see this storm brew as gray clouds coalesce above the tavern. 
whirling in the sky and the bark and leaves and branches begin to be stripped from the trees and whirled around in this tornado of snow and just complete whiteout spinning faster and faster until a great swath of the forest behind the tavern has been really stripped bare where the trees are little more than toothpicks sticking out of the ground at this point their very roots dug up from the earth and transformed into as this veneer of snow then falls over a large shape one of a winged drake made entirely of knotted wood and leaves and ice as the drake peers at each of you its eyes these glassy orbs of smooth ice you hear its familiar voice in your minds and it says you remember my name natsuniro the child of the mountain you freed me from my jailers and i have granted you a boon you seek now to cash in my debt. I thought we just asked them to be friends. Yeah. Friends help each other out. Come on, man. Um, stepping forward, Val says, It was my understanding that we had agreed to be friends. And I do also remember there being a lot of conversation around how friendship is not favors. So I would hope that this could be a mutually beneficial agreement and not just a passing transaction, but a meaningful relationship with each other. Very true, son of the Elvaret. But friends honor their agreements, and I intend to honor mine. Friends may recognize when one owes another. Now, you seek passage to the Great North. To the lands of the Mazkin, where few have trod that are not their own. This, as a friend, I would say is unwise. But I understand your plight, and am sympathetic to your cause. And now, stepping forward, Rolandier, positioning himself in front of Natsunero, just looks at him and says, Thank you. We sincerely appreciate it, and need the help. If you are ready, we would prefer to be underway as soon as possible. Though this journey will be significantly easier with my assistance, I will not be able to take you the entire way to one of these monasteries. I can bring you so far as the border of one such haven of Mazgin. Past that... You will be left to your own devices, though with my most sincere wishes of luck and success. The Mazkin have warded themselves well. Very well. Then we graciously accept this help, and as Val has stated, this is a true relationship, and if there is ever anything else that you should need from us, we are more than happy to give assistance. But, and now he turns to the rest of the group, I suggest we quickly rally our things, get what you need, and then we can be underway. It will be all seven of you? Yes, if that's manageable. Yes, it will do. Though I cannot guarantee the comfort of the coming journey. (laughs) 
there's one thing we have come to expect from our travels. It is never comfort. Good. Then you will not mind the high winds, quick and cold as they are. Relander just nods his head and quickly goes inside to gather up a few provisions and pack items and probably dons his armor. Lerotz is going to grab his armor as well. However, he finds the idea of flying on a drake in the freezing cold uh, while wearing a bunch of metal plates very, very uh, unappealing. Wimp! So he's just going to carry it on him and not uh, wear it. He's going to be wearing some heavy clothing. He does, however, uh, make everyone some nice sandwiches and provision packs from the supplies there at the store. Cooks up a nice broth. Has a nice broth um, and a couple of uh, couple of things that you can chuck inside. You know, make yourself a, a soup. He's gonna he's gonna as much as possible take care of provisioning everyone and getting them uh, sustenance for the journey. Efron is gonna bundle up. Kelniase takes an extended amount of time uh, away from you all, and when she returns to your company, she is in old garb that it seems uh, not as befitting of her as at least the Kelnius you've come to know. She doesn't carry her weapons. The sashes and robes she wears are inscribed with many different runes of the Mazic language, and... Her face is nearly completely covered, save for her eyes. She wears heavy boots, heavy gloves, and the hems and trims of her robes are thick patterns of fur and fabric. Rhaenyra, in his time to prepare, he actually, before he went back inside with everybody else, he addressed the drake with uh, a reverence and respect to it, and he introduces himself to the drake, and then goes and prepares for the journey. Natsuniro greets Rhaenyra amiably. So Mick, knowing that we're going to Maskin land, disguises himself as a Maskin, according to what he's seen uh, from Kelniase, because I don't think we've run into any other Maskin. So uh, I look a lot like Kelniase, <laughs> pretty much, except a lot shorter. And also, I don't know how many days it's been from that conversation that we had with Val and Ifran, the one prior to what we just had about our decisions. The fellowship meeting? Yeah. I'm going to assume that it's been a little while. So Mick also took to heart some of those instructions from Ifran to prepare ourselves mentally. So he's been doing some mental exercises, writing, doing other things such as that. So he's got his supplies with them and goes to Natsunido and says, hello, old friend. Good to see you. And hops on. (laughs) (laughs) scramble up some knobs and branches that stick out of his legs and clamber onto its back. Do we have winter clothes? Is that a fair assumption that we have like... (laughs) Boy, I hope so. If we've been... Well, it was winter in Bastion, so if we're hanging around Bastion, if we've been here for at least a week, right, I feel like that would have been pretty high to like obtain winter gear. Yeah. Val will put on his winter clothes and summon the archbishop and just sort of snuggle her into his little collar and get on the drake. Lerotz is going to position himself uh, behind Val just in case at any point Val starts to sort of doze off or zone out and thus prevent Val from falling off, possibly falling off a drake. A which good is plan. <laughs> probably not a great thing to happen. Afron puts on a puffy parka with like the fur around the hood. <laughs> 
Now, Efron also gets in his winter gear. He's got a pack on his back, you know, classic bedroll. And he does have him in, in a little sheath, you know, across his back so that he can draw it with his left hand. A quick question about Efron. Has Efron been like practicing uh, fighting with one hand? Um, A bit, but it's difficult. It's It would be easier if he didn't have the other arm, but he's not quite ready to give it up. Like, it just kind of, like, gets in the way. He has it in a sling. Okay, so he carries it in a sling. He doesn't, like, tie it against his body. No. Is it pretty atrophied at this point? I mean, I'm assuming it's still getting blood flow. Yeah, I was in muscle atrophy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, sorry, sorry. I was thinking of, like, necrosis, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, uh, you can kind of tell it's losing, it's losing some mass. Okay. All right, so everyone's back at the dragon drake i think everyone's aboard the drake at this point choo choo as everyone does mount natsuniro's corporeal form here another great wind is swept up around you basically whiting out the expanse of land that stretches on beyond as this form of a drake lifts up into the air higher and higher, it's not until you're far, far above the clouds and the inn itself that this whiteout dissipates, just seeming to cover your ascent. You see Bastion in the distance, and Bastion is a peculiar city. It has high walls surrounding its entire perimeter. There isn't much of outskirts to speak of, unlike if you remember Threshold. However, there are plenty of offshooting little roads and paths leading to Bastion that form into small villages. But Bastion itself is a pretty self-standing, large, sprawling metropolis that kind of curls up against one of these mountains that it resides next to. A sizable river of frigid water running on its westerly coast. As Natsuniro takes you far above and beyond Bastion, you see it fade into the distance, and you actually have quite some time on this drake. It was pretty near morning when you embarked, when you had this conversation and had your plan nailed down, but by the time Natsuniro touches down, the sun has all but set beyond distant mountains. Only a haze of purplish-pink clouds still tease at the horizon as the seven of you disembark your flying friend. Looking all around you is just a sheet of ice and snow, and little drifts blown about by intermittent wind. A great wall of ice and rock stretches off into the clouds to your northeast, but in every other direction, it is just barren, frozen desert. Even the mountains of the, you know, inner fell that you would have passed over are just jagged teeth on the horizon barely able to be seen through, like I said, a thick wind of fog and snow. As we touch down and disembark, you see Efron get a really worried look in his eye, and he takes off his backpack, and he starts going through it, um, kind of frantically, muttering to himself, Did I put it here? Oh, where did I put it? Where, where, where? Ah, there it is, there it is. Whew, that was a close one. Efron, what, what are you looking for? Oh, uh, my gift, of course. And he pulls out just like a plain-looking bottle. Yes, one must always present the Grand Vizier with a gift when going to visit. That's actually a, a very good idea. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot something. I must have something. 
And you see Lerotz, he's, like, now digging through his sack where he's just been keeping everyone's, like, he has everyone's provisions. But he's just got, like, a bunch of ham sandwiches. <laughs> really, he has nothing <laughs> Delicious grand. ham sandwiches. Well, he, he turns to you finally and he says, You, you don't mind if I, if I share yours, do you? It's a group, all of us, uh, represented by your gift. Uh, yeah, it is, it is quite all right, uh. Though it has been some time since I have last seen him, the Grand Vizier is quite a generous soul. He will surely accept this gift from all of us. Kelny is just like, just like we don't do that here. <laughs> no, no, but we are going to see the Grand Vizier. Who is the Grand Vizier? I am sure that I've told you about him before. The Grand Vizier of Imera. He is the leader of the largest merchant family in all of Imera. But we're going to the Mazkin. Efron. Efron. Kelnies approaches you. She just takes you one one hand on the shoulder, one hand on your arm, and kind of just pushes it down a little. She's like, we're not in Emera, Efron. We're not going to Emera or the, the Grand Vizier. We're not even inside the fell anymore. Oh, I see. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> how, how could I forget? Brynir actually uh, speaks up at this moment. Efron, on the... Pathir, why don't you tell me the story of your gift? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, perhaps I will do that. And he stows the bottle in his bag and he puts it, he puts his pack back on his back and he starts walking alongside Brynir, talking to him. Kelnias just gives Brynir kind of like a wide-eyed nod and then she indicates to the great wall to the northeast it's not really a wall isn't like so accurate but it is just this huge cliff face that stretches on infinitely in either direction and up into the clouds and etched upon its face it's still a good mile out from where you are etched upon its face is a set of switchback stairs that seem to go up to a elaborately carved entrance and Kelnias says, we should be able to find refuge there for the night, just at the top, before the gates. Perfect. Just what I like doing after a day's worth of flying, climbing up innumerable amounts of stairs. <laughs> Upon hearing of refuge, Lerotz still keeping an eye on Val, but with a little bit more of his old joviality to him. Says, Reminds me of my time as a first lieutenant. Guard the pass in the mountains, they say. They didn't tell you that. I'd have to climb up the entire mountain. Of course, in my time, there were no stairs. You uh, walked straight up the side, switch back stairs. Uh, you kids have it so easy. Uh, there's no time like the present. And he kind of has his little satch sack, you know, kind of his backpack and everything set up, all of his armors on his back. He hasn't worn anything yet and just kind of starts walking up the stairs like an old man. They're, they're a mile away. Oh, he starts walking towards the stairs. Sorry. Are the Mazkin hostile to other races and people, or do they just not interact with them? No, they just don't interact with them. Oh, okay. Is the Drake still here? It is, yes. Okay. Uh, before Val walks away, uh, he'll approach Natsunido and um, shape water like a, a sort of, you know, lovely little ice dragon that resembles him and just sort of present that on the ground in front of him and say, that will only last an hour, but um, thank you. And Natsu Nero, you, you feel another one of these waves of emotion come over you, and this time it's a mix of gratitude and pity and novelty at your naivete. And he says in your mind, The gesture is much appreciated. 
though this form you see before you is not my own. As I said, I am the child of the mountain. I return there, where my spirit is housed in the barrows beneath the molten rock. We will meet again, friend. And then this drake just falls apart. So then Val joins with the rest of the group. Yep, ready to go. If Rolandier, I think, was at the lead with uh, Kelnies, probably, she just kind of grips you a little closer to her for a moment, and she says, We are going into unfamiliar territory, even for myself. Uh, you see, I don't quite remember how long it's been since I um, died and, you know, was trapped in Vale's realm. The last time I was in a proper Mazkin society was long before that, even. What I'm trying to say is we should be careful, especially given the state of... And she peers over her shoulder at Ifron, who is, what, relaying to Brynir the splendors of the Grand Vizier's Palace of Amera or something? Yeah, yeah, but he's not like, oh, I'm a kooky old man or whatever. He's, <laughs> he seems <laughs> himself. <laughs> he seems normal. He seems like he's just talking about something from his past. Does it seem like he finds this comforting, you know, just after, like, the experience of kind of losing it? It's just like, oh, well, let me let me talk it out so then I can kind of re-grab reality? Or would you say that's inappropriate? He appreciates that Brynir is listening to him and asking, you know, questions and stuff, and that he's, that Brynir's not making a huge deal of what happened earlier. As Kelnyais does gesture back to Val and Efron, turning back to Rolandir, she says, Not all of us are ourselves, and the path ahead won't be easy. There may be danger, cannot say for certain. There surely will be danger. I think we can count on that for now, and who knows? Perhaps it's only in losing ourselves that we'll actually find our solution. But I, I do hear you. We'll be careful. I will keep my eye on them as well, and... With all of our support, we'll make it. And as far as the Maz can go, from my understanding, they're, they're probably the most isolated society in all of Egadon, from what I've heard. How bad can it be? She just gives a little, huh, and continues on. As your group treks the mile it takes to arrive at the space of these stairs, the wind has picked up to a blistering pace, not so much that it sends shards of frost cutting across your skin, but it definitely stings your face and your hands and whatever little bits there are exposed. As you make the treacherous climb, the stairs are well-maintained, but uh, slippery, given their nature of smooth stone and icy construction. And by the time you reach the top, you are all good and well-fatigued, as the sun has all but disappeared. On the journey up, Lerotz, he went out to everyone else, and he's carrying a small thing full of uh, animal fat, like tallow. And he tells him, oh, it's biting into you. Here, rub this on your skin. It'll help keep the cold off. And so he kind of, like, doesn't force anyone if they don't want to. But he suggests vigorously that everyone should take a bit and just kind of rub it on any exposed skin as it diminishes the effects of cold on human skin. As night drags on, a fire is made, bedrolls are laid out, and the party drifts off into an uneventful sleep for some, perhaps restless for others, but altogether quite cold. And it isn't until the morning light that you all awaken, a nice layer of frost across each of you. The door that had been set in the stone in this large archway that you had reached the night before is gone. A large cave mouth now looms open before you. 
its glimmering ice reflecting the new 